iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. And joining us in the studio today, it is the football correspondent for the Sunday Times, Jonathan Northcroft, and the digital sports editor for the Times and the Sunday Times, Tom Clark. Coming up, we're talking transfers, picking our favourite heartbreak moments when our team snatched despair from the jaws of victory. And Gregor tells us where Celtic and Rangers would finish if they were in the Premier League. But there is, of course, only one place for us to start. And let's get straight into it. To Manchester United, who were booed by their own supporters as Burnley beat them 2-0 to register their first win at Old Trafford since 1962. It means, since taking over full-time in March, Solskjaer has registered 12 Premier League defeats, more than his 11 wins. It's left some United fans calling for Solskjaer's head, whilst others lay the blame firmly at the door of the CEO, Ed Woodward. So... If we are going to put blame on anyone and we would suggest to get rid of one from the club, who would it be? Would it be Ole or would it be Ed Woodward? Gregor? It would be Ed Woodward. But First. It would be, yes. <laughs> Closely followed by Ole? Closely followed by Ole. Mm-hmm. I think... Look, there are, there are problems. We, we can go over all ground. There are problems that are, are very long-standing at Manchester United. But I think you've just got to ask yourself if a top manager was in place would things be better and the answer is undoubtedly yes um i think burnley have won more games than manchester united in the time that he's yeah. been permanently in charge so i think there there is an argument to be to be said that look ollie's been dealt a, a bad hand <laughs> and this is a huge job there are some some vaunted names who have who've been through there now and failed pretty much uh since alex ferguson left so I don't think it's any sort of slight on him, but I think it, I just have to keep coming back to that fact if someone like a Pochettino or even like a Brendan Rodgers, if you imagine them taking that team, this group of players, as poor as they are, they would still be performing a lot better than they are. Jonathan, when, where do you stand on it? Is, is Ole mm. hugely responsible for the situation Manchester United are in? Oh gosh, no, he's, he's not responsible for it. I mean, I guess what we're looking at is a really messy situation and trying to work out exactly which bit needs fixing and the the truth might be that all of the bits need fixing but I think as Gregor alluded to um, the problems go higher up than Ollie. Other managers have done that job, other very good managers have done that job and haven't been able to succeed with it really good players go there and don't succeed. There's something institutionally wrong with Manchester United. I'd even put it above Ed Woodward. I mean I don't think Ed Woodward has performed well in terms of managing the football side of the business, probably recruitment being the, the major one. Um, but you could actually argue things like retaining players hasn't been very clever over the years either. 
But I think you've got to look right up to the Glazers. And one of the issues is that this is a major club of Europe that hasn't been invested in properly, uh, has got a, a culture where making money is more important than results on the field. Edward would enact what the Glazers want. And that filters down to the, the football side of things. Uh, I think it's a rot that, that starts right at the top. And my, while I, uh, I take Greg's point that you could put Ole Gunnar Solskjaer against a Pochettino or a Guardiola or a Klopp, and clearly he comes up short in, in, in many areas. But if you change him, I think you just go back to square one. You start with the new manager, the focus goes on that. There's another two-year cycle. And in two years' time, United get to exactly the same position they are. And, and, and the, the change has to be bigger than the manager. Mm. So you would stick with Solskjaer. Tom, would you stick with Solskjaer right now? Yeah, I mean, I think he's the perfect man for the job in the sense that they he's a fairly average manager and they're an average team. I mean, I, <laughs> well, but, they, but, yeah. but they are, they are, they just mm. are. I mean, it's just not that surprising to be beaten by Burnley, a well-organised team who work mm. harder and have got, you know, some good good players in the team. I mean, he's the perfect man for the job. I'd leave him there two or three years, let the rock continue until it's literally at the bottom and it can't get any worse, and they're maybe even on the brink of getting relegated, and then start it from scratch. Because, you know, what Pochettino will come in, they might finish fourth, maybe they'll finish third. But, I mean, what, what do they expect? A lot of these Man United fans, you know, I grew up with a lot of friends who are Man United fans, they grew up with such unprecedented success. And currently, the Premier League, they are miles away from Liverpool mm. and Man mm. City. You know, we're talking about them being linked with Erling Haaland. Why the hell would he go to Man United? You know, Paul Pogba's been ruined by Man United. Like, people, you know, talk about Paul Pogba, he's a disgrace, he's not putting it in on the pitch, blah, blah, blah. You know, this guy was one of the star midfielders in Europe. I don't know many clubs who'd be that even... I mean, he'll go somewhere, I'm sure, mm. at some point. The Haaland issue is a really big point you've touched on because United need clearly need to rebuild, but you have to ask yourself which players are going to go to yeah. United at the I moment. I mean, everyone's mm. banging on, like, oh, yeah, sign these players, like... They signed Daniel James in the summer, a promising young player who'd done a few bits for Swansea here and there. Mm. Gregor, you saw him, like talented lad by all accounts. He's all of a sudden being expected to play. I mean, how many games has he played mm. so far this season? Yeah. You know, if he'd gone to Liverpool or City, he'd have played 15 games, started a few games in the cup, been brought on gradually. Solskjaer signed him and been expect. You know, he suddenly got to be a superstar. I think they're, they're miles off, and that's why I just just keep him, just let it keep getting rubbish, <laughs> and then until they, you know, until they find, until the money stops coming in, until mm. people's tractor companies stop, you know, giving their money to them. It is an interesting point that that you've raised, Jonathan, with regards to is Manchester United the lure that it used to be, Gregor? Do you think players still would want to play for Manchester United? Yeah, I mean, it's still Manchester United, but I think. Attracting the very best players at the moment is probably getting to the stage where you would want to go somewhere else because it is such a kind of a deep sort of rooted decline. Mm. Um, so even if they, I, I agree, I think even if they do, I agree with Johnny. Mm. If, if you to change the manager, there would be a an uplift, and you just got to hope that they've learned some lessons mm. <laughs> and that they can improve the recruitment. They can kind of have, have a proper structure in the, in the football club I, I have no hope of that happening but it's still and you still got to come back to the fact that there are Ole, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should, should never have been the Manchester United manager mm. there's no other circumstance in which he would be offered the job uh, and even when he was offered the job he shouldn't have been there's lots of people who were clamouring for it because they had a remarkable run and beat PSG mm. there was no need to give him the job um, 
And now a lot of the people who were clamouring for it are kind of suddenly looking a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. Um, look, that's football makes us all look silly sometimes. Do, do you mm. think Solskjaer has the tactical nous to improve Manchester United? If he was to have all the players that he would like to have available, if they were able to bring in a few more star names, let's say, can he actually make Manchester United into the superstar force it once was? I mean, he's not, he's not a vision manager in the way that Guardiola is or, or Klopp is, I suppose. I don't think he's got an all-encompassing way of playing that could revolutionise a club. I think he's done well in one-off games. Clearly, he's got big results against Manchester City and um, Chelsea and, and in, in, in you know PSG last year, um, albeit playing very much a counter-attacking game. I don't think he's a tactical dunce, but he's not a manager at that level of having a philosophy, if you want to use that. He's got one trick and he uses it quite effectively, doesn't he, you know, to counter-attack in big games against much better teams. And the trick's injured now, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Everyone (laughs) works it out after a while. But but if you you look at the way they set up last, last night against Burnley, it was a very defensive... Manchester United team. Yeah, because they're worried a, about Burnley. They're a good well, team. Well, absolutely. But what does that say? <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's credit, my point. So credit to leave, Burnley, you know. absolutely. But it, it was though it was a team set up to not lose rather than to win. Yeah, because the midfield is absolutely useless. The kind of lower mid-table mm. Premier League midfield. You yeah. know, we used to talk mm. about, how, you know, see some of these discussions now, how many Man United players would get in the Liverpool team. Mm. How many Man United players would get in the, you know, Bournemouth team or, you know, <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> I, I, stretching honestly, it a bit. Well, <laughs> We're not going to sit here and do that now, are we? <laughs> I take your point. I mean, it is it is it is genuinely mind-boggling when you look at the team sheet now and you think they've spent close to a billion pounds and this is the result. Mm-hmm. It's like it's almost unprecedented mis- levels of mismanagement in the Premier League because of the sums we're talking about here. You know, clubs have spent money badly, clubs have gone into administration, but to spend that kind of money in a short space of time and go and regress to such an extent is unprecedented. It's how you solve that, and I guess you have to transition. And for me, the the one the big argument of, of, of keeping Solskjaer that I, I still may be clinging to a little bit is that at least he has transition in mind. At least he has an idea of what a Manchester United player or character should be, and, and he's trying to get rid of the Alexis Sanchez's and... Um, the older players and, and by necessity bring them towards something that they need which is young talent it's it's just it's getting harder and harder all the time for the reasons we talked about at least he's not a quick fix manager so whoever's in that position has to be able to take on the chin um, bad results and transition to get United to where they are so at least Oli fulfills that job but mm. there's another issue I think which is that good players are getting worse now so it's like Everything's everything's an issue now. Martial, his confidence is just, yeah. just but he's not a bad player. I mean, I can't think he, of a player that's left United in the last four years that's been like better. No, or like you know, been sold on. You know, like the Ferguson teams. Real Madrid wanted every single one of the players mm. all the time, every mm. summer. Blah blah blah. No one cares. You know, Kylian Mbappe's doing interviews talking about Liverpool. Mm. No, no one's bothered about Man United. Mm. Mm. But the problem is, people are saying that for Manchester United to get better, they need to invest, they need to buy more yeah. players, which means they'll be spending a heck of a lot more money. And as you've already pointed out, Gregor, they've already spent nearly a billion or over a billion pounds to get the squad to where it is right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, t- I take I take Johnny's point as well about there was supposed there's been there's supposed to be a kind of vision and like a blueprint. Now we're you know we're going to sign young, hungry players, a sort of British. Uh, 
centre can centre to that as well. But I think I think a lot of that's kind of just nostalgic as well. <laughs> it's you know even when they were talking about uh, about a point in the director of football, they were supposed to have spoken to like Ferdinand and Darren Fletcher, and there seems to be a something yeah. about. We need we need to look back to the past to to kind of <laughs> step into the future and have any success, and every well, other every it's other a bit team. like appointing Solskjaer, isn't it? <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah. So uh, I think that kind of if that's their one big idea of how to mm. rectify this when everyone else is is kind of is kind of breaking new ground, like Liverpool are appointing former NASA data scientists and stuff mm. like this, you know, and Manchester United are trying to appoint Darren Fletcher. I mean, at the moment, the recruitment they need to replicate is probably Leicester. It's not yeah. looking at Liverpool. Like, they can't be Liverpool at the moment. They, well, need, they need to look and try and get the Ricardo Pereira's, yeah. the Suyu's. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, he went to Leicester. By all accounts, Man United were interested mm. in him. Like, you know, pick Leicester. Quite yeah. right too, as well. Yeah. You know, but I mean, that's where they're at, isn't it? And that's why Solskjaer should probably stay for another two years. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I think you're enjoying the demise no, of Manchester no, United. Not necessarily. I just think that it just needs to be put in context. And like when Liverpool beat them, and yeah. you know, well, you know, we're all sat there, and I'm sat in the office, and everyone's going, "Oh, they've lost to them again." It's just not that big a deal. Mm. They're just miles apart. But is there also when we talked about Solskjaer being an issue, perhaps also a little bit about Edward Woodward and the board? The fact that something like Bruno Fernandez, this has been a, a transfer we've been talking about yeah. for ages. How have they not got that deal done? I'm still not clear how much they want that deal to no. be done. I mean, that's the problem with United. Well, they've been used, haven't they, for transfers yeah. by other, by agents and players and clubs, you know, linking with Man United, jack the price by 10 million, get your move to somewhere else. Mm. He'll be he'll probably trot off to somewhere else and, you know. But, mm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a farcical situation. But let him keep going. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we mentioned Bruno Fernandes and the protracted transfer to Manchester United. It's a story that won't go away and neither will this one in the window. Could Edinson Cavani be coming to the Premier League? With Chelsea the interested party for short-term deal as the 32-year-old striker remains out of favour at PSG. Atletico Madrid could yet beat Chelsea to the signature, but what do we make of Cavani? As James Gearbrandt writes in The Times, he is a flat-track bully or one of the finest strikers of his generation. Uh, Jonathan, do 
Chelsea need Cavani? Um, I'm a bit confused as to why they would need Cavani in the middle of this project when they've, they've, you know, kind of flagrantly disregarded Olivier Giroud. I'm not saying Giroud's as good as Cavani. He's not and never has been. But if what what they need is a kind of experienced striker to see them through a time, and I I get that, ease the workload on Tammy Abraham, they've got Batshuayi and, and, and Giroud. So they can surely use them if, if rotation's the name of the game. Um, I think the danger with Cavani would be that, um, you know, he's a superstar, good player, but a superstar, £360,000 a week, blah, blah, blah. It seems to be at odds with what Lampard's trying to build and maybe the example that he's trying to set young players and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, th- th- there's a dissonance there. He seems like the signing you'd make if you've got a really short-term goal, which might be securing that top four slot. But as we've just discussed Manchester United, I don't think Chelsea are actually in that much danger from mm-hmm. losing that one. Mm. But it's an interesting point you make with regards to Cavani and, and the strikers that Chelsea already have. What will it say for Abraham if they were to bring in someone like Cavani, Tom? I mean, I think it'd be a good thing. I think we talked before about Manchester United's you know, desire for a DNA and Yes, that is all well and good, but you do need players to kind of help the transition with that. And they've got, you know, Tammy Abraham's been in great form this season, obviously potentially uh, struggling with injuries and things. A player of Cavani's calibre and experience and just the little things in the game, you know, some of the kind of cheeky fouls and, you know, teach a bit of game management and stuff like that. You you need that balance as well. And I mean, I think he is a great player. I just think the problem with strikers like him and particularly with a club like Chelsea is the expectation and the demand put on them. You know, if he came in for 18 months and scored, you know, eight to 10 goals between now and the end of the season and then maybe 15 next season, I'd think he'd be a great signing. If he also then improved Abraham and things like that, I, I, you know, I, I think it would be no bad thing for the young for the young players in the squad to would have someone not, like him around. Would he not want to play every week, though? Surely if you're Cavani, mm. his level, you, you've got to play, haven't you? Especially if you're bringing him on loan. Surely yeah. there's more of a requirement that he plays. I probably would play him. Mm. I mean, I think Tammy Abraham's mm. been brilliant. But, you know, I was remarking on Daniel James at Manchester United. And, you know, I think we get a bit carried away almost sometimes with young players. And, you know, think about Deli Alley at Tottenham. You know, scores a load of goals at first, and then three years later, we're all talking about what's happened to Deli Alley. And I mean, Gregor, maybe you can tell us better. You know, when you're as a player at a young age, Tammy Abraham's gone from being you know on loan at Championship clubs and you know trying to find find his feet to Frank Lampard throwing him in as a top four striker. That's a big bit of a leap. I mean, I don't think there'd be anything wrong with him suddenly becoming second choice to Cavani for eighteen months. No, I don't. I don't think it would be any bad thing for him to have someone like Cavani around as well to kind of to learn from and he's, I agree he's someone of that stature Chelsea don't really have and they have you know they have had those sorts of players over the years um, so I think it would, it would be no bad thing at all it's, I mean the figures are, are enormous I think Gary Jacob reported it was like £7 million in, earn, in wages alone if it's between now and the end of the season on loan which is remarkable <laughs> but I think if it was a loan short term I think it is a short-term fix. You know, I mm. think one the first thing to say is no one really likes to do much business in January unless they have to. So a loan is, is kind of the thing that most clubs are going to be looking at. And to get someone of, of Cavani's stature, uh, perhaps with a little bit of a, a point to prove as well after, yeah. you know, falling out of favour at PSG, I think it would be a good sign. Big-time player as well. If you're a defender, 
you know, you were a defender. If you're playing Chelsea in two weeks' time and you think, you know, it's either Batshuayi or Tammy mm. Abraham, then all of a sudden you see they've signed Cavani. Surely, I'm, you know, if you were defending against them, you'd be thinking, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But you say that, but we have been there before with Chelsea. Yeah. Andrei Shevchenko, Radamel Falcao, Gonzalo Higuain. It's not guaranteed success. No, absolutely. But that's my, that's my point about the expectations thing. You know, Shevchenko was signed because of Abramovich's obsession with winning the Champions League. Falcao was signed as a kind of bit of a vanity signing off the back of rubbish season at Man United you know and Higuain was signed as the supposed make to make Sarri ball click you know <laughs> and, and all of those that's a lot of weight on each of those players and the responsibility and whereas if actually if you change that dynamic and say just just come in for a bit and bring us some you know class and you know quality and a bit of experience I think it could be a great sign well, the stats make good reading for Cavani. In the decade just elapsed, only Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo scored more than Cavani's 223 goals in Europe's top five leagues. Uh, his Champions League record is of 35 goals in 61 games as well. Uh, Jonathan, should we be concerned or should Chelsea fans be concerned in any way or should they be questioning why a club like PSG don't want Cavani? Well, the stats are really interesting. I mean, first of all, I didn't realised his scoring record was actually quite that good. Mm. Um, the really impressive numbers. But the, the bit I did note was, um, I think he's only scored twice in eight games this year or something like that. Right. The scoring's dropped off. So I think Chelsea would need to know that that was just one of those patches that a player goes through rather than a sign of, of physical decline. Because he's, he's into his 30s, well into his 30s. Well, he's he has had a number of injuries this season. He's had, yeah, he's had Four injuries. Four spells out, I think it was. And he's a player that's always based himself around being a superb athlete, a real, yeah. you know, racehorse of a of a footballer. So you'd need to know that he was um in still in that kind of top shape that would would mean he was worth the investment. If you knew you were getting the Cavani of his of his prime, it would give you a lot of confidence. But that's the as you say, that the fact that PSG are suddenly talking about offloading him raises a raises a question there could, there could be other reasons as well it could mm. be you know him and Neymar we've always heard that they'd never get on they've got FFP to look at so the, the complex issues with PSG um, but you'd want to do your homework and make sure this wasn't like Bayern Munich selling you Schweinsteiger or something like that <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Gregor what about his age I think he's what 32 we've mentioned he's had a number of young whippersnapper <laughs> yeah definitely I'd agree with that but um, yeah he, he's missed I think quite a few games 13 uh, in total so far this season with four separate spells on, on the sidelines is there any question marks for you over that? Yeah I mean that doesn't sound great but I agree he has he has always kind of struck me as someone who's a great athlete mm. um, I don't know I, I just also think that there's not much, there's not much in the way of Strikers out there, there's not if you know that's why if it's a short term deal, you know every sign's got a risk. I think it'd be one worth going for, um, but you know that's why Tammy Abraham sort of leaps leaps out the screen at you. And that, <laughs> yeah. the, all the players that England are producing at the moment are highly technical wingers, midfielders, um, and Tammy Abraham's a kind of big number nine. There's not many of them around actually. There's not England certainly aren't producing many of them, and there's not at this time of year. That's the kind of player that everyone's after so I think he'd be a good good option certainly on a loan signing mm, yeah aren't most clubs on the hunt for a striker um, Chelsea's pursuit though of Cavani appears to have hit a snag with Atletico Madrid now favourites to land his signature this all could be down to Cavani's mother 
wading in. She's been quoted, Berta, as saying, it is complicated, but he wants to play at Atletico, and if it's not now, in the summer. We have been eager for some time, but it doesn't depend on my son, but on PSG and Atletico Madrid. Um, Gregor, let's come to you then. <laughs> Did your mum and dad uh, heavily yeah. get involved in your footballing decisions? Absolutely not. I mean, who's asking her? Who's asking Berta here? Berta, what do you think? I love a bit, I love a bit of Berta. We should nice get her on the pod. Oh, yeah. I'd love it. But no, she wouldn't be swayed no, by what no, mum and dad no, would tell No, no, no. My, my mum, uh, she couldn't, couldn't bear watching. She, really? she would get too kind of bent up and nervous and that. sort of. Yeah, as I was saying at one of my. She sat beside uh, a teammate of mine once and he had kind of a bruise on his arm because she was. <laughs> so kind of uh, stressed out about watching. That's nothing yeah. to do with my performance. She was clinging on to the guy sat next to her. Yeah. My God. <laughs> so she after that she said, oh, "I'm not going to come anymore." So that's fine. <laughs> what did you do in that game? Uh, I came on against Derby County, and I think it was my my league debut actually. And I got booked after like a minute. <laughs> so it was understandable. Yeah, oh. I'd been worried from that point as well. Oh God, he's going to get sent off. No, jeez. <laughs> But, I mean, have we ever taken job advice from our mums? On the basis that she's probably listening yes all the time. I always <laughs> listen to her. Good, mind. I'm glad. That's the correct answer. Uh, but I don't think she really cares. She just wants to know whether I'll be back for Christmas and what the hours are like and all that kind of stuff. As long as you're happy. Exactly. All That's that, all they all need that to say. Right. Okay, well, we'll see what happens with Edison Cavani, but it looks as though maybe Chelsea isn't going to happen and he may well be heading to Spain. The Newcastle boss, Steve Bruce, said his size comeback at Everton was remarkable as two injury-timed goals from the substitute Florian Lejeune and a dramatic two-all draw. There were just 102 seconds between Newcastle's two goals against Everton. It's also the first time in Premier League history that the Magpies have scored two goals in the 90th minute onwards in a single game. And whilst Newcastle fans will enjoy the comeback, maybe we should spare a thought for the Everton faithful. As the memes say on Twitter this week, how will Toffee's fans explain to their kids that they didn't win a game when they were 2-0 up after 93 minutes? So I th- we thought, why not? Why not? Why don't we all sit down and have a little think about your own personal Everton moment when your team has blown it? You've thought, ah, this is all looking really good and something happens where you're walking away from that ground in absolute despair. Tom? Being a Lincoln City fan, I was basically <laughs> conditioned on the basis that we would always concede a goal in the last minute. Um, yeah, my dad used to kind of get prepped to walk to the car about five minutes before the end. Um, so, yeah, too many to mention, really. Berry, <laughs> Wrexham, Mansfield, Luton. There's a very recent one which will always stick in the memory. Um, I took my fairly new girlfriend and a load of friends to Wimbledon away this season. And uh, the ground was full. It was standing only and we were in an uncovered terrace took the lead in the first half, the heavens opened, oh, no. it chucked it down, we were stood, there was a kind of pile of rotting grass behind us, <laughs> so it stank. Um, we'd had a few drinks the night before, so we were all hung over, and in the 93rd minute, a cross came in from the right, and it's one of those where it all slowed down, and you kind of just knew what was happening. And uh, Kwesi Apaya headed in and oh. ruined my day, and all my mates and my girlfriend just turned around and went, Sorry, mate. <laughs> and I just didn't speak for the next two or three hours. Oh, really? Yeah. Does it affect you that badly? Yeah. still have nightmares about it. I can still see the cross going in, the oh. rain coming into my face. Yeah, it was pretty bad. 
pretty bad. None of them have been again since. Actually, my girlfriend's been again, so fair play. Oh, we didn't put her off then. No, I That's good. Okay, well, that's your moment. Jonathan, have you got one? I I do. It's actually what Tom's just said reminds me the first time I took my now wife, then girlfriend, to an Aberdeen game was Aberdeen Rangers, which is, as anyone who knows Aberdeen, they are our most hated team and she's a real connoisseur of swearing and the Scottish accent um, <laughs> so it was 2-0 Aberdeen um, no I think it was 2-1 we ended up losing the game 4-2 so it was one of those games but actually while I went away gutted she was just absolutely delighted the, the song she heard the, <laughs> the, 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 the men standing up in, in a funny accent just saying things she had never, never heard in her life um, she absolutely loved it but Aberdeen's moment is uh, it's painful 1991 um very similar to the kind of Liverpool 2013-14 season where Aberdeen had a brilliant late charge to overhaul Rangers. I think we were seven points behind at one point. Won 12 out of 13 games. And I remember, I was actually at uni at the time, I played a game for the uni football team. I was on the bus listening to the, this was a week before we blew it. Um, and we scored a goal against Motherwell, which meant we'd moved ahead of Rangers on goal difference. And I just knew in my heart that that was the wrong thing to do because it suddenly meant instead of needing to go to Ibrox on the last day of the season and win, a draw would be fine, oh, no. which is just a horrible situation. Mm. And, of course, the inevitable happened. Um, the the manager changed the winning team that had you know, got us these great results, tried to go a little bit more defensive. Oh. We got bullied. We lost 2-0. And that's basically the last really good season Aberdeen had. So nineteen ninety one, pretty much, yeah. But we did, we were all right before then. So well, I mean, here's me talking about three months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I thought as well, Johnny, you might mention basically every Scotland qualifying campaign oh. for the last thirty years. Oh, how many? <laughs> Except do you this one, go? we didn't get even close. <laughs> I know. I'd love. To, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You're, you're quite right. National specialty. Of yeah. Yeah. Conceding ninety third minute free kicks to Poland. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, then, Gregor. Let's hear yours. Uh, yeah, much like Tom, I kind of had a quick look through some of my career and was embarrassed by the number of 90th minute sort of concessions. Really? You were yeah. on the pitch, though. You could do something about it. Yeah, that's the I'm problem. I'm just sat there in the stands. <laughs> the problem is he didn't do anything I about know. it. <laughs> There's two that two that jumped out, and they're not, they weren't the most glamorous games. It was Chesterfield versus Rochdale in 2008 was one. We were 2-0 down at half time. We came back to 2 all. Then they went 3-2 up. Then we equalised. And so there was like three goals scored in the last four minutes Ooh. and we got back to three all and then one Glenn Murray popped up with a winner in like the 94th Ooh. minute or something Were you marking him? Uh, no comment and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then there was something similar when we played Huddersfield once as well um, we scored in the 90th minute to make it 3-1 and then uh, Anthony Pilkington scored a free kick in the 92nd minute and then a guy called Nathan Clark scored in the ninety third minute. So we were three. Yeah, you know, oh, we thought you think you scored a third goal in the ninetieth minute, but luckily that was a cup tie. We won on penalties. So, uh, right. <laughs> so you redeemed yourself in, yes, in some absolutely. ways. Um, I'm just just to offer my own mm. situation. Not quite the same as, and we weren't in the lead or anything like that. But obviously Brentford against Doncaster, the final game of the season, you get yeah. a penalty mm. in the ninetieth minute. You know, if you score it, you're going to go up. Obviously, we, most people know what happens. 
we hit the crossbar. Doncaster went down the other end. They won the game. And, uh, yeah, they went up instead of us. Anyhow. <laughs> Is that where you get your aversion to penalties from, Natalie? I remember watching the World Cup shootout with you. Yes. And you were the only person not watching the screen for England's finest penalty shootout moment for about 30 years. I couldn't watch. But maybe that is what it is. Post-traumatic stress. Exactly. Thank you for having sympathy for me. But talking of Everton then, we should maybe talk a little bit about Jordan Pickford. Um, he's come in for heavy criticism for the draw against Newcastle as he saved their last gasp effort whilst being well over the goal line, as we know that was given. Been a tough month. It's been a tough month for Pickford with reports that Carlo Ancelotti's not a not a big fan of the number one keeper at Goodison. Dean Henderson and Nick Pope have also been in good form, with many calling for them to replace at Pickford as Gareth Southgate's number one. Jonathan, you've covered Everton for, mm. for a number of years. Things aren't going quite well for Pickford. No. Um, I mean, he's, he's he looks like, like a player in decline at the moment, which mm. is a sad thing to say for someone so young. And maybe, I think we've got to understand with Pickford, is he's a, he's a young lad that has come a long way very quickly in mm. his career. You've, before that World Cup, he'd, I think he'd only played six games for England or something like that. So he, he was kind of propelled into England's number one, hero of the World Cup, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't think mentally he's caught up with it yet, clearly. He's quite an unaffected, sort of very endearing lad, but very down-to-earthy, sort of simple guy in, in, in many ways. And I think it might it might be overwhelming for him at the moment, the way his life's turned. Um, and the biggest issue that you see with him is a, is a lack of um, calmness. You know, and it's terrible for Everton fans to have to look at Liverpool again. But when you look at the authority and calmness Alisson brings, mm. and you you see that as a template of a goalkeeper, and Gregor, you've obviously we've played with nervous keepers before. I mean, it just affects everything, and that mm. that kind of manicness um, of Pickford when he can see when they can see that last goal, you know, doesn't even know where his goal is by the end of it, completely flapping and and hyped up and you know his reaction when they conceded it was it was again it was it was yeah. like my goodness just this guy needs to calm down a little bit so i think there's a lot going on with him mentally mm. and ancelotti clearly you can see by his personality is someone who likes calm and he's not going to find that from pickford but the caveat is everton have got huge defensive problems have had and pickford can't be blamed for it all i mean maybe there's a reason he's not very calm and it's what's happening in front of him. Mm. I mean, that has to be one thing that I note when I watch Pickford. I'm never comfortable mm-hmm. watching him mm. in goal, Tom. No, I mean, he's but he's always been like that. Yeah. I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his whole career. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that that's a successful way of being a goalkeeper to be that kind of slightly manic, but that's how he's always been. Mm. I, did I, a, I did a background piece in the, in the World Cup mm. and spoke to his former goalkeeper and coach, Mark Prudhoe, his name was, uh, at Sunderland. And he told a little story about when he was nine years old, he was kicking lumps at the goalpost when he conceded a goal, and yeah. his mum came mm. and gave him a clip round the ear. And like his teacher yeah. was saying, you had to tame him, you know. Yeah. But they say goalkeepers are mad, don't they? Like, well, they do, but he's kind yeah. of he definitely yeah. is in that bracket. You have to say though, Joe Hart before him, when mm. he had the, the number one jersey, he looked like he was going to have a nervous breakdown yeah. in the tunnel every week. Yeah, for England particularly. Mm-hmm. So but I don't know. Perhaps there is something about as Johnny says, just being elevated to, to another level. They spent huge money on him. 
and there is a kind of a bit of turmoil around the, around the club. But he's, you know, he's got all the attributes. He's a great mm, goalkeeper. Mm. It's just it does seem to be something sort of psychological about him mm. at the moment. But do you change him though? Because I, 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 I have this big thing. We, Johnny and I, have argued about this with, in relation to Jack Grealish. But I wouldn't mm. be changing him before the Euros. No, I wouldn't. You wouldn't. No. no. So you, you wouldn't even, be the other. You know, Pope and Henderson are playing well and in good form. Mm. But I'd, changing your goalkeeper, we've been here before, haven't we? Rob Green. I mean, I can still see it now through the legs. Yeah. You know. I mean, I mean, although although I. I, you know, the Grealish thing won't revisit that, but um, <laughs> but actually, I, I would take Tom Tom's point on on this particular position of goalkeeper. I don't think goalkeeper is something you mess about with. Um, so close, Rob mm. Green and the whole weird sort of 2010 World Cup situation mm. with keepers should always be the cautionary tale for England. But as much as anything else, Pickford is key to how Southgate wants to play exactly. out from yeah. the, the back as yeah. well. So you're not just changing. Yeah. The, the mm. shot stop, you're changing yeah. the template of how they're playing. Those two guys are, like we mentioned, are hugely inexperienced. Um, and they're not really, you know, Tom Heaton's now out for the season. Mm. Ben Foster's arguably been the best English goalkeeper of the season and he's yeah. ruled himself out. So, you know, I wouldn't say they're, they're very inexperienced. You wouldn't want to throw them in now. Um, I'll stick with them. Now, finally, this week saw Pep Guardiola calling for the League Cup to be axed to cut down the amount of games Premier League teams have to play, something he believes could have prevented injuries to the England stars Harry Kane and Marcus Rashford. But never fear, as David Moyes is here, and the West Ham boss has come up with the perfect solution to the League Cup's problems. Me, because I'm a Scotsman as well, I'd like to see us bringing in the Scottish teams into the League Cup and maybe making it a different format where possibly it might just make it a bit more exciting and you know it wouldn't be the league cup maybe it'd be a british cup for example hmm okay well david moyes wasn't really listening to what pep had to say about axing the league cup but he says david moyes adding scottish teams to the league cup would give the competition the added spice that it is lacking well, maybe if Premier League teams just took it seriously, then maybe that would be better. But any, anyhow, do we agree with what Moyes had to say? Would Celtic and Rangers win the League Cup if they entered it? And how do they compare to the top Premier League sides? Tom, I'm just going to let you sit out for now. Probably for the best, I yes. think, given the company that I'm in. <laughs> yes, exactly. So keep my head down. Let's ask Gregor and Jonathan. Obviously, you've both mentioned your, your Scottishness uh, so let's, get, let's have your yes and no answers to this one <laughs> she says it like it's a bad thing not at all not at all I've, I've got McGregor in my family <laughs> anyhow um, let's ask if the old firm were to play we're going to look at around about sort of eight clubs in the Premier League right now would they be capable of beating them so Gregor let's start with you could the old firm beat Liverpool no is that it Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that's a no-brainer. Uh-huh. Uh, should we set some boundaries here, though? Are okay. we talking about playing Liverpool's second team oh, here? Oh, here we go. Are we talking home or away? Because no, I tell you what, Parkhead has got a formidable record, oh, don't even in Europe. It's a one-off no, game. That's a point, that's a point. No, oh, we're going, there's no replays in this. You know there's no League, <laughs> League Cup replays. Has to be done in the 90, if not, go straight to pens. Uh, so, Liverpool, full strength. You say no. No, no chance. Okay. Jonathan, Manchester City. No. <laughs> this is not looking good. Uh, Gregor Leicester. No. Oh, my. Uh, Chelsea, Jonathan? No. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Manchester United, Gregor. They're rubbish. Come on. As they stand? As they stand. Ooh. Yes. Oh. Are you going for both? Celtic and Rangers could beat Manchester United. Well, there's not much between them at the moment. Mm. 
the current Manchester United that we just saw the against Burnley, Manchester United. I would say there's a good chance. Okay, that's a tick then. Uh, let's go to Jonathan with Wolves. <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> what about... Oh, how has this worked out that it's come to Sheffield United and Chris oh. Wilder? <laughs> Choose very wisely. Yes. No chance. Oh. No chance. Is this our first contentious one? <laughs> No chance. Sheffield yeah, I mean, are really I, good. They would they are, beat Sheffield United. Really good, yeah, yeah. I think. I don't know. If I said that they'd beat Man United, then I can't really. <laughs> 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 so you going... can, you can. Sheffield United are well better than Man United. I think they give Sheffield United a good game. Okay, but you think the old firm would come out on top? Just about. Just about. Okay. Um, Tottenham for you, Jonathan. No. <laughs> you have been so dismissive. <laughs> it's. Only one of you is getting let back in. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, look, Greg, Greg is right, first of all, that, that Rangers and Celtic can beat just about anyone. Europe tells us that on their day, at home, in the, right, in the stadium. Um, but I guess we're trying to sort of almost look at them playing on a neutral ground and try and work out if they're better than the opposition or not. And I'd love them to be better because that would mean the Scottish League was better. But I think you've got to recognise... The, the massive gap mm-hmm. for me if if we started listing championship teams I'd be questioning whether Rangers or Celtic would beat them now if Rangers and Celtic had anything like the TV money that English teams have got they'd be right up there they're huge clubs massive clubs but they make about 8 million a year from, from TV something like that you know Bournemouth make 130 million pounds a year um, you look at you know, Rangers, if they win their game in hand, will be will be top of the league. Jermaine Defoe is the leading scorer. Now, Jermaine Defoe is not playing Premier League football at the moment, clearly, anymore. Um, Scott Arfield's a good player for Rangers. You know, he's not coming back to the Premier League. I mean, that is sadly the, the, the level. And my own club has done pretty well over the last five years by signing decent players from League One. And it's I, 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 it annoys me when English football fans kind of laugh at Scottish football as if there's something wrong with us there's not we just don't have the money mm. and and having the money doesn't make you superior but it makes you <laughs> makes you able to buy superior players so. would, would it wind you up as an Aberdeen fan if you saw Rangers and Celtic swanning off to go and play in the League Cup because that's my problem with it is yeah. you know you then take them away from it and then Scottish football suffers in it in, you yeah. know itself doesn't it what about the Scottish Cup competitions if oh, you're a, absolutely yeah. but is that what Moyes argued did he not say all Scottish teams I, I just yeah, I mean this, the, the, surely the problem did, with the yes. competition is what he's also forgetting the, the Turnock's Caramel Wafer <laughs> uh, Challenge Cup where other course. teams are invited into <laughs> absolutely. this absolutely we have uh, that are non-Scottish teams from Ireland Wales non-league, non-league and, England, and now under 21's teams it's an absolute laughing stock you know the nickname so for this it. is <laughs> that's the journey he's, he's envisaging <laughs> I'm sorry, David, no. No, so that, okay, so let's ask then. You're not a fan of the idea of inviting Scottish teams into the, as it stands, the English League Cup, it would become the British League Cup. Jonathan, do you see the merits in it? Not as things stand. There's too big an imbalance. I think I think Scottish clubs would get embarrassed, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it would, I think it would probably do more harm to our standing at the moment, yeah. sadly. Tom, can you understand where David Moyes is going with this? I mean, it's, it's an admirable shout but I mean the problem is not David Moyes it's Pep Guardiola oh, I on. mean you know yes. <laughs> Billy Bigman saying oh it's poor me with my squad and I don't need these games get kick them out of the competition then <laughs> I mean you're telling like you know Bradford in 2012-13 when they made it to the final beat Arsenal on penalties at Valley Parade Absolutely. go and tell a Bradford fan that 
we should throw in Rangers and Celtic and that the competition's broken and all this kind of stuff. It's just n- nonsense. Like, you know, these big clubs whinging about their players is because the Champions League's so ludicrously competitive and all the money's got to come in. It's the Prem- Premier League so competitive and they're under so much pressure. Like, the League Cup is a great thing for lower league teams and for teams lower down the Premier League. You know, Swansea won it that year. The final was Swansea-Bradford. Mm. Tell fans from either of those teams that, you know, putting Ragin and Celtic in there is going to sort it. There's another issue that I've experienced this as a parent, actually, but it's so hard to get tickets for Premier League games now. But if, you, if you've if you got kids and you want to take them to a match, mm. the League Cup's fantastic yeah. for that. Mm. The FA Cup's great for that. Yeah. For some fans, it's the only chance they'll ever get to go to a Premier League stadium. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you, Tom, that uh, I think Pep Guardiola needs to open his eyes a little bit more, not think all about the elitism Selfish. at the top of the uh, at the top of the English pyramid. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Jonathan Northcroft and Tom Clark. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online or on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday, so enjoy your weekend. game is brought to you by the times for more information and more podcasts from the times head to thetimes.co.uk the train is now approaching junction at platform passengers airport please stay on board next stop road station ios helps you control which apps you share your exact location with there's more to iphone 